What is up, Lit Lucid Podcast fans? We are happy to have you back for season seven of the show. This season is brought to you by Seed and Smith, an amazing cannabis company located right here in Denver, Colorado. Visit our website, litlucid.com, to learn more about our sponsors and to view our previous episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share with a friend and give us a review on your favorite platform. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording live with Dr. Rachel Knox out of Portland, Oregon. She is with the American Cannabinoid Clinic. She is a certified cannabinoid medicine specialist, and previously, before she moved into the realm of cannabis medicine, she was trained in family and integrative medicine, and now she's pursuing functional medicine, cannabinoid medicine, and endocannabinoidology. So those are some big words, but I'm sure she's so knowledgeable. Uh, We had the pleasure to listen to her keynote speech back at the Cannabis Sustainability Symposium in Denver. And she talked a lot about kind of the sustainability around the whole spectrum of cannabis and how it's this full integrated system. So we're going to learn a lot more about kind of your background and how you got involved with cannabis and kind of the research that you're doing today. Great. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. I think Thank our listeners are in for a, yeah. I think our listeners are in for a real treat today. Uh, very well educated, uh, very well known in the cannabis industry, and you're in one of the uh, one of the hot spots in the uh, the new cannabis industry and up in the Pacific Northwest. So happy to have your experience and knowledge on our show to share with our listeners. Thank you. You guys are so kind. Too kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Well, awesome. Let's just get started. How did you get involved with cannabis? Yeah, it's it's very it's a, it's a long version, and I'm gonna try to give you the short of it. Um, now, I am a family medicine and integrative doctor by training, and I'm only an integrative doctor by training because I intentionally sought out a residency program that would expose me to natural medicine somehow, some way. Um, you know, my my parents are conventional doctors. They, you know, that that was all I knew. Um, that medicine meant um, the conventional way. And my mom practiced 32 years in anesthesia. My dad literally retired around this time last year after 40 years in emergency medicine. Um, so my sister and I just thought that conventional medicine was our calling as well. It was what our parents did. It was the, the, the family business, if you will. And so we went to medical school, um, thinking we would just become a part of, you know, this, this medical world as we understood it at the time. But what was interesting is that she and I both pursued dual degrees in medicine and business. And we only applied to schools that offered it. And we ended up going to Tufts School of Medicine in Boston because it was the only four-year program at the time. Like literally that was the only reason. Because yeah. um, we were like, we're not going to do five years if we can do four. So we did four. But very quickly we realized through our business studies that big medicine is a big business. It is profits over lives. And that was not what we signed up for as, as medical students. We became medical students because we wanted to learn how to help people heal. We, even in this conventional world, we thought that Western medicine was designed to help us help people heal. Um, and through our business and medical schooling, again, big medicine, big business, but also recognized that it was the big business of a chronic care system. Um, I almost backed out of going into residency entirely with all of that information. But my mom at the time, 
was really encouraging um, and said, listen, like you don't have to do medicine the same way everybody else does. You can do something different with it. You have your business degree, stick with it, at least do an intern year somewhere. Um, and so my, my solution personally was to do family medicine with a touch of integrative medicine so I could learn natural medicine. Cause I, yeah. I think I did, I had come too far. Um, but while I was in residency and my sister ended up in a, a preventative medicine residency in San Diego, um, and I did my training in Charlotte, North Carolina, my mom back home in Portland started seeing patients in cannabis clinics. So writing authorizations um, to cannabis clinics like back in 2011. And she shared her experience of, experiences with us about patients coming in who didn't look like the quintessential stoner, who looked like your grandma or grandpa or your local police officer or you know your neighbor's kid. Um, regular people regular people who are looking for a solution other than what the conventional care system was providing them. They had either failed the system or the system had failed them and sent them home, um, you know, to die in some cases when it comes to some of these cancer patients who fail chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was interesting for her is that patients, knowing more than she did at the time about cannabis, were asking her questions. How do you take it? When do you take it? What do I look for? What strain? Um, what products help? And she, as an anesthesiologist who should know physiology and pharmacology, couldn't answer their questions. So she started reading about cannabis, about the science of cannabis, about the physiology of the endocannabinoid system, which is one of the reasons cannabis works so broadly and so well on the human body. And it fascinated her and she shared it with us. So after I finished residency, I was actually really excited to get back home to Oregon to investigate this for myself, right? She she was experiencing, along with patients, improvement in quality life, a reduction of prescription drugs. So what my sister and I recognized was that this work, this cannabis medicine work, it's actually helping people heal in the ways that we thought we'd be able to help people heal through the conventional system. So for us, it was a no-brainer. Again, I was eager to get back home to Oregon and and dive right into, and then, yeah, I too went right to, right to the books. And, um, my dad's sister, mom, and I just decided, listen, like we don't, we can expand this whole cannabis card mill clinic model into something much more, um, effective for patients because we now understand the underlying physiology that is the endocannabinoid system. We have a good command on how certain phytochemicals like phytocannabinoids, THC, CBD, and others work on that system. We think we can give the proper guidance to patients. And out of that was born our American Cannabinoid Clinics, where we do little like functional endocannabinology and cannabinoid medicine, meaning when you come into our clinics, we're going to assess you from head to toe, from birth to this present moment to determine the root cause of your probable endocannabinoid system dysfunction, whether that's a deficiency or a hyperactivity in some cases. And then we're going to talk through how to address that dysfunction nutritionally through phytocannabinoids, so your cannabis um, options, as well as other modalities that we know work on the endocannabinoid system to help restore healing. I love that. Yeah. And I, and I think the timing is really impeccable, really, with how you guys how you guys kind of came into it, because I do think, you know, cannabis obviously came into the mix there at the same time you and your sister were going through schooling. And, you know, I think it's really incredible that your mother didn't shy away from it. And she was really, you know, curious right along with the patients. And then she sought that knowledge. 
I think that's huge. And I think oh, it's funny. People are like, so what does your mom think about what you're doing? Like, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> She's the one that got us into it. Yeah. She started it? yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. And it's awesome that your dad's supportive as well. And he jumped on board. Definitely. You know, 40 years in the emergency room, um, you can make a compelling case there against opiates and in favor of cannabis. I mean, he's on record saying, listen, I can probably count with one hand the number of times that somebody came into the emergency room with a true cannabis, you know, quasi cannabis related emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really profound. That's so cool. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the next stage is really getting these medical professionals to speak out and say, hey, here's our experience. We understand there's you know issues with cannabis, but at the same time, I think the positives totally outweigh the negatives. And uh, it's going to yeah. come from those clinicians who are working hands-on with patients that have to be the ad- advocate for the patients in the medical community. It has to be. But, you know, recently I've started really honing in on this message. We healthcare providers cannot be religious when it comes to helping our patients. We need to be objective. And I don't care what side of the aisle you fall on with respect to cannabis legalization or prohibition. It is our job to assess a patient objectively. If you are using cannabis, I need to know how that cannabis and all of its phytochemicals are working pharmacologically in your body so that I can make sense of everything else I'm prescribing. It can be super pragmatic, super objective, And it's our job to be that way. If you're coming in um, and I need to rush you to surgery, I actually need to know whether you are on cannabis because it actually, it might affect how I dose the sedatives and the anesthetics Mm -hmm. and anesthesiologists work with, um, work in that space all the time. Let me know what you took so that I can make my adjustments and keep you safe while you're under the knife, right? Mm -hmm. We can no longer be religious about it. And I think every healthcare provider needs to know something about the endocannabinoid system and something about the pharmacology of cannabis without bias. There's no room for it. And isn't that concerning to you that, you know, they're really not learning about the endocannabinoid system in medical school? I'm wholly concerned. So, you know, I recently did um, a a TEDx talk in Portland. So everybody go look it up. Yes. (laughs) We posted it on the CERT Council. Definitely check it out. Awesome. 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 Um, You know, because the endocannabinoid system was discovered uh, really in what we call like a relative totality back um, by 1992. So starting in 1988, um, ending in 1992, scientists and researchers discovered the four major components of the endocannabinoid system, right? The cannabinoid receptors, the cannabinoids, molecules that work on those receptors, and the enzymes that create those molecules and break them down. Now, fast forward to 20, almost 2020, this, this system was way more massive than that. But the point is, back by, at, at, the, at the latest, 1992, researchers had a pretty good command over what this system was and what it could potentially do. We knew back in the 90s that this system controlled all other physiological systems. So 20 years later in 2012, when I'm graduating medical school, to not have learned about this fascinating system that controls all of the other systems, I just spent four years you know, memorizing is atrocious. (laughs) Right. Are you kidding me? It's your job to translate the cutting edge science and research to your medical students and your medical professionals. Like they've, they've, this, the system has really set us up for a lot of failure. We are way behind and we don't have to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it does play back to what you said at the very beginning that it is a business model that most of these, you know, health organizations have to follow. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, a lot of things aren't going to be geared towards, you know, 
care and fixing and you know getting rid of things it's going to be chronic care over time and palliative care things like that yeah. um which is which is kind of i mean it's it's not good <laughs> i could say a lot yes. of other words but but i do think you know there's a resurgence right now there's an enlightening with health for one i mean there's a resurgence with yoga there's a resurgence right now with mental health and people get yeah. into mindful meditation and i think cannabis fits right into that and I also think there's a resurgence with talking about um, diet and exercise. I mean, we just seen what two weeks ago they talked about heart disease or um, I guess, uh, what do I want to say? You might know more than me, but heart surgeries, I guess, about how majority of heart surgeries were unnecessary, that those yeah. um, conditions could have been fixed through diet and exercise. And Alone. Yeah. Oh, it's it's yeah. scary. It is. It, I love this one because it's so remarkably shocking. We can reverse type 2 diabetes in as few as two to three months on a natural whole food diet. And I'm talking about type 2 diabetics who are on insulin. Yeah. You know, if we just, if we, if we, you got to treat people at the root cause of the disease, that is the problem with our conventional way. Right. We're not, we're not asking, okay, what is the reason why this person or these people or this community is sick? And once we uncover that reason, why aren't we, why isn't that where we attack and attach our solutions? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but if we, if we, if we make all of these problems go away, then we'll no longer need the solutions that right now are the procedures and, and pharmaceutical drugs. Right. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. And, I, and yeah. I think, you know, that's probably why a lot of healthcare professionals don't want to address it and they don't want to even talk about it because uh, they're in the mix of it and that's their job. That's their profession. Well, we're beholden. Right. So the conventional system is what trains us. It's also what certifies us. And if we want to remain certified, well, then there are rules that we have to follow like any other industry. And Mm -hmm. in medicine, our rules are determined by what we call gold standard clinical trial, the randomized control trial. And if you don't have evidence that's rooted in these RCTs, well, then there's no evidence. Mm -hmm. And that's why the system has been able to hold the, the quote-unquote lack of cannabis research over everyone's heads. Um, but in fact, that's actually not true. We, we mm-hmm. actually do have plenty of clinical trials um, in cannabis. They might not have been conducted in the United States, but they exist. We have even more preclinical trials that clearly demonstrate pharmacologically how phytocannabinoids work in a body with an endocannabinoid system. So it's all translatable. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm here really is because in, uh, I mean, we were studying at the university back in 2015 and I mean, we had heard that countless times about how there's no clinical research, blah, blah, blah. And so we were trying to start up the Institute of Cannabis Research and the first job obviously was going and pulling from what's already established, what's already there. And I have mounds of paperwork. A lot of it's been done in Israel and a lot of it's been done in South America and other places, but there is research and like you said, the cannabinoids have been mapped out. A lot of the pathways, the endocannabinoid system has been mapped out. I mean, Mishulam did a great amount of work. Um, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that is already out there. And that's so right. that's where I was sitting in a research lab and we were just replicating studies, essentially what we were doing and just reproving results. And I thought this isn't going to really help me or help the industry too much. I would be a lot better off going and sharing people the research that I've already learned and showing them yeah. what's already out there to get the ball rolling. And I 100%. think that's one of the biggest, you know, things towards the stigma right now is that, oh, it's an, it's a gateway drug or it's, it kills people or, you know, all these other things that aren't based in fact, they're based in fear. And, uh, you know, the facts are out there. 
fear and propaganda, right? Because those are actually lies. Like, yeah. That actually isn't, isn't true <laughs> yeah. at all. But people are believing fallacies, and it's it's really, really unfortunate and to our detriment. I mean, we have stifled progress by the tune of a century. Yep. Through cannabis prohibition, um, it's it's pretty again remarkably astounding. Absolutely. So, I mean, as a healthcare practitioner, are you seeing stigmas change from your end? I mean, you talked about earlier with, you know, surgeries and stuff, your patients have to be open with you and tell you what they're using for, you know, anesthesiology and things. You know, are you seeing patients come around and be more open with you about cannabis use and, you know, in the healthcare field, are you seeing that open? open patients up? tell me. Yes, of course. Of yeah. course they tell me. Our, like our, our whole practice is around, uh, cannabis and cannabinoids and cannabimimetic therapies. So people come to us because they know that we're open, we're attentive, we're engaged. We will work with you through whatever it is you're dealing with. We will work alongside your primary care doctors. Um, you can be as transparent with them as you want to be. We encourage all of our patients to be again, because those other doctors are prescribing them drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are phytocannabinoid and pharmaceutical drug interactions that everybody needs to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And as a prescribing doctor, it is your duty to, to be aware of the potential interactions that your patients might be, you know, causing, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's our job to do that. So that's why I encourage patients to talk to their doctors about even what we're recommending. And if you want us to talk to them, we'll talk to them. But the point is, we all have to mitigate risk. Mm. So I actually don't like talking about the pros and the cons of cannabis or the positives and the negatives of cannabis because what it, what it really is is optimal use and risk mitigation, meaning not every cannabis product out there is meant for everybody. There are actually reasons why we would or would not want somebody to be on CBD right. or on THC or something else. But in order to determine that, you got to be willing to share information with your provider um, and not all providers are well-versed in the endocannabinoid system and um, cannabinoid medicine. However, every healthcare provider knows how to Google and they can look up potential drug interactions. Right. Well, and that's one of the things I was just thinking about, you know, the issues with the CBD craze right now. Like everybody like, oh, we all need CBD. But then the problem is, you know, people don't even know what proper dosage is. And, you know, they're just taking a tincture and they're like, oh, that didn't work. And it's like, well, why didn't it work? And so it's good that there's actually resources now out there, people that can go to the doctor and have this full holistic health wellness analysis to determine what they really need to determine its effectiveness. And then, you know, you can throw in the towel if it doesn't end up working, but you have to have some sort of baseline and right now there's nothing i mean people are just kind of out there at a whim just doing whatever Uh, that's you know i so i've i've been working a lot in policy and regulations for the past what two years yeah so i joined um the oregon cannabis commission in its first year back in 27 late 2017 um and this year uh, i'm i'm chairing the commission and what's been all it's always been a curiosity to me, but now more so than ever with all the information we have and the benefit of hindsight is that none of our policies or rules or regulations are actually informed by science and actually informed by data. Um, And so we're sort of misregulating in a way, Um, but we have enough information to set really good pragmatic standards about dosing, Mm -hmm. right? About, um, what should or should not be in a product. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's just, it's time that we go back to that science and yeah. allow it to inform how we're doing everything. And with passing the farm bill, making CBD essentially legal, as long as it comes from a hemp, you know, a, a 0.3% THC or less plant, we've set everybody up for potential drug, drug interactions with CBD. Oh, we know absolutely. that CBD interacts with about 25% of the pharmaceutical drugs that we commonly prescribe. When we're just putting CBD in everything without any crowd control, <laughs> yeah. then you could imagine what might happen if if I woke up in the morning and brushed my teeth with my CBD toothpaste and I put on my CBD sunscreen and I wash my hair with my CBD shampoo and conditioner and then I have my coffee with CBD and then I have my salad with CBD dressing. You, you see where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what it's right. happening. <laughs> How are we protecting people from consuming grams upon grams upon grams of CBD every day but by the way, they might be on a blood thinner, yeah. um, which is one of the more commonly um, common prescription drugs that we see a definitive clinical, you know, effect. Right? Nobody's educating um, at the grocery store. No, no. That no. that person, that consumer who just grabbed a CBD product from a shelf, not from behind a counter, and is going home with it and. Sharing it with everybody. Yeah. Or not to mention there's no CBD even in the product. So it's just complete nonsense. Exactly. It's it's just, it's lead, lead with information, folks. Um, but what was really interesting, I did watch some of the, the hearings leading up um, to, I think I was leading up to legalization or maybe just shortly after when the FDA was, was taking yeah, testimony yeah. Um, to, inform, to inform them on how to regulate. But, there, there are those staunch prohibitionists still. There are advocates. There are people who are advocate for their brand or methodology only. And so I really felt for those, those, those folks at the FDA because how did they know which information was oh, accurate, absolutely. which is just right. more propaganda, which is um, peacocking. There was a lot of peacocking coming from industry companies who were able to testify. And, and so there's a lot to tease apart. There is, but at yeah. the end of the day, like, why don't you just call up some of these world-renowned researchers in cannabis and allow them to inform you? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So why are we calling on CEOs of CBD companies? They don't know. For information. Yeah. And that's, and that's the scary part that I think that we all have to start talking about as cannabis industry professionals and, and try to stomp out and say, you know, I love the point and I think this is where we're leading up to at the Cannabis Certification Council's uh, Sustainability Symposium, you mentioned that we needed to have a return back to patients and, you know, over profit. And I do think that that's 100% what's happened with the cannabis industry in, in a lot of areas. And then it's totally what's happening right now with CBD. Um, yeah. I did a ton of research in, in my undergrad on CBD, and it almost makes me sick nowadays that I can't even, you know, honorably recommend a product to my mother or my family and say, Oh, I, I could totally take this product. It's what's yeah. going to fix you. Cause I don't even know There's so much misinformation that I'm like, yeah, my Lord, I read, you know, in all these studies, 25 milligrams, you know, a therapeutic dose and you know, that's it. And now we can't even trust that there's 25 milligrams in these products. And we can't even trust that, you know, the delivery method is going to deliver 25 milligrams of what you need. Um, exactly. And then we don't even know what's even in those products, you know, knowing now how they're cultivated and how they're processed and how they're, you know, post-processed and packaged. And there's a lot to it. And I think a lot of people have really just kind of thrown themselves out there, thrown some products together and really yeah. started to try to rake in the money and figure it out down the line. And I don't oh, think that's the best that's way to do it. Happening. Oh, yeah. And it's that's what scares me as a professional in, in the industry. And 
that I think all of us now need to come together and say, okay, let's take a step back from this and let's start looking at the data, like you said, and let's start putting, you know, an approach to this that actually makes sense. And it's not based around profit and it's based around why we're all here in the first place. Yep. You know, we look at how cannabis and CBD is even here in the first place. It all started with medical marijuana. You look at any state that has, you know, a legal marijuana framework, every single one of them started with medical marijuana, a patient-based program. And now we're, you're with recreational and now we're here with CBD. And I could tell you majority of the products that are on the market are probably not geared towards health and wellness. Right. You know, your coffee in the morning. I mean, even then, I mean, are they really saying, you know, take this mindfully or your, your CBD shampoo or your CBD sunscreen or the, the, candy. the gummies? Lucy <laughs> and I talk favorite. about the gummies. It's such a contradiction with the gummies. It's like. Let me tell you, my first, my first year seeing cannabis patients, the number of diabetics that came in who loved using their gummies oh my goodness. because it improved their, their neuropathy, right? Their nerve pain in their feet. And I had to re-educate them that these gummies full of high fructose corn syrup mm -hmm. and other additives weren't doing their disease, the disease causing yeah. the neuropathy, any service. Right. So you're really chasing, you're just chasing your tail. Yeah. Right. So that's an uninformed supply, supply chain. Yes. Um, and an uninformed consumer. And neither one are holding each other accountable because they just don't have the information. And I think we, yes, cannabis legalization has been built on the backs of well-meaning advocates, well-meaning cultivators, um, well-meaning, well, even well-meaning regulators, I, I do think. Um, but to bring it back home, like we, yes, we need to have the end consumer in mind. I think every good business person really understands that if you create a valuable service or product, the money will come. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So why aren't we focusing on creating the best cannabis industry that serves the consumer or patient? Whether it's a wellness pro product or a therapeutic product, we can do it so well that whether you're a patient or consumer, we're, we're supplying you with products that are health promoting and not, and, and, and not health um, detracting. Right. Absolutely. We can do that with cannabis. Mm -hmm. So, so why, why aren't we doing it that way? Um, but I do think we have the opportunity now to clean it up and really create what I, what I call an industry of purpose, an industry creating products and services of purpose. Um, and my family most recently has been, you know, um, touring um, and, and teaching the endocannabinoid system to the industry to beckon them to begin to make products with purpose for our consumers and our patients. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's great. Because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of operators who do care. And I think yeah. a lot of them, you know, some people just get busy and they get their heads down and they don't have time or they don't have the facts and the knowledge to do that. So I think that is great. And I yeah. think, you know, taking a step back and, and doing those things will only help the consumer in the end. You know, It'll help the consumer in the end. And guess who else will help? It'll help reinform the industry. Yes. If we, if we, if we keep that mission in mind, right? Providing value to the end consumer, whatever that may be, right? I don't care if you recreate. If you want to euphoriate with this cannabis product, that's actually a, a therapeutic purpose in and of itself. That's okay. But it's about the intentionality, and that's how we keep people safe. And I digress a little bit. But the point is, if we're, we're providing value, that's data too, right? That data is going to help us determine what, what should we be cultivating and how should we be cultivating it. Into what and how should we be processing it? Into what sorts of products and uh, what delivery methods, mm -hmm. right? Now we're going to create this circuit, this mm -hmm. feedback loop, if you will, that's always process improving so that we can develop the great, 
the greatest cannabis industry that we can for the benefit of people, but not only that, benefit of this world. You know, my, my talk at the sustainability symposium surrounded the concept of health equity, not social equity, health equity for all people. And health equity is the true measure of, of societal success because it takes into account economic impact, environmental impact, social impact, as well as human impact, which is that health. Physical health um, promotes healthy people, which is health, human equity. We need mm-hmm. healthy people to live and work in a community for the, the community to thrive, but they also need resources. They also need networks, and they also need a physical environment that's healthy and health-promoting, too. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think people are touching on. I love health equity. I love that word because <laughs> that's, you know, that's a huge asset to anybody. I mean, your health is almost everything you have. And so yeah. people should care. And our health is the only thing that communities have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Communities suffer if the people living in those communities aren't healthy. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think a lot of this too is going to really change uh, the way we handle health. And I think cannabis really came out of the time that, you know, like we mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, a health enlightenment is happening, I think. And I it think, is. you know, a lot of practitioners like yourself are changing. Uh, we have Dr. David Gordon, who's a good friend of ours, and he's been on the show. He, uh, he practices a lot of what you preach and, and teaches that to his patients as well. And, you know, it's a whole different approach to health. And like me, I haven't been to a doctor in years, knock on wood, but it's because I exercise and, you know, I take my cannabis and I eat healthy foods and... You know, I take care of my mind and you you're know, doing all the things that you would need to do to be to, to get healthy anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to do all those things as it is. Yeah. But those things also, they keep you healthy and they, they make you last long and you don't have to take pharmaceutical pills for those things. So it's it's yeah. an easy way, really, once you get in that routine to just do it and be healthy. It's great. Yeah, it is. And they, we should, I mean, really, health class in elementary school should be that. Yeah. Right. It's how to live a healthy lifestyle. Right. Yeah. You know, um, well, even you even, you're even looking at the little kids now and they're doing like meditation classes. Like we didn't know anything about meditation. So that is a step in the right direction as well. That is a step. I would say that's probably a very small yes. <laughs> percentage of our, you know, elementary uh, population. I think we have a long ways to go, but that is the start. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're going to have to simultaneously, um, heal adults while putting into place pathways of healing for kids, yeah. right? Or else we can't, we're never going to be able to keep up if we're just trying to, to make sick adults healthy. Right. We need to, we need, and then all the while our, our children in this modern world are getting sicker and sicker and becoming the sick adults. We have to, again, address the root cause mm-hmm. really at a community level yes. and create systems of wellness so that wellness now becomes second nature. It's, it's sort of funny, like, the, the conventional systems that we all have come to benefit from, of convenience, et cetera, I think even all of these systems were um, meant um, in a good way, right? They're, they're meant to make our lives easier, but we didn't have a standard against which to measure that. We all ate natural whole foods all the time, mm-hmm. right? So we didn't have to think about it, but then we enter into the 20s, 30s, 50s, 90s, the low-fat craze, and now almost 2020, and we have so many processed foods in our food supply, frankenfoods, if you will. Um, Now we're realizing, oh my gosh, we took all of this for granted. Mm -hmm. We thought we were making our lives easier, Um, but we we created this this mess ourselves. We made ourselves sick, but we didn't know any better. So to a degree, I give... 
you know, all of us, the benefit of some doubt, I empathize with everyone, but we now know enough to fix it. Right. So I actually do take issue with the folks that are deliberately preventing progress, um, in that way, you know, whatever, they're so deeply entrenched in, in this chronic care system, this, we, we live in the, the era of the bigs, big mm-hmm. food, big pharma, big government, big medicine. Um, and these systems are thriving off of human illness. Yep. They just are. Um, so now we have to battle even them to right all of these wrongs so that we can start, well, not, not that we ever want to get into the place where we're taking our health for granted, but so that it's easy to access wellness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. That, it's, yeah. That's a human right. Yeah. Easy to access wellness. That's such I've never heard that, but that's going to stick with me. That's the truth. You've got to make it palatable. Yeah. And I think what you're doing is first, you know, you have to educate people on, you know, what's wrong and why is it wrong and then what's the best way to do it and move forward. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's 100% what you guys are doing with your clinic and, with you, you know, sharing your knowledge and going and speaking at these events, I think it's extremely beneficial to the communities you touch. And uh, like I said, you know, you touch Lucy and I and the, the hundreds of folks in the, in the room at the sustainability symposium. And there's definitely a lot to what you say. There's a lot of merit to it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned before that, you know, we, we don't understand quite how to dose cannabis yet. And, you know, my response to that these days is that we might never get to the magic dose or even range of doses because we're all different. We all have a different endocannabinoid tone um, for many, many reasons, right? It's all our endocannabinoid system is always in flux, adapting and responding to our internal and external environment. You know, um, like my sister could be sitting right here next to me, but I decide to take a leisurely afternoon and play the piano and she goes across town to get her exercise um, class, but on the way there's traffic and she, you know, develops road rage right mm-hmm. now. And, and we could be identical twins. Right. We're, we're not, <laughs> we are, but I, yeah. So my sister and I could be identical twins yet because of just that experience, that, that divergence and experience alone, our endocannabinoid systems at any given time can be remarkably different. Right. And what I'm trying to say is that what works for me might not work for my sister, even though we are identical right. because our endocannabinoid systems are responding to our individual experiences. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's what cannabis is really showing us that we need to get back to individualized medicine, mm-hmm. individualized wellness. We just, we all have different needs yes. and it's okay to not be so super standardized. Yeah. I understand standardization for the benefit of, you know, sustainability and growth too. Like I get that, but at the end of the day, we all have to be able to adapt. We have to be malleable. And I think cannabis is really forcing us to respect that. Yeah. Well, and it's bringing us back in touch with ourselves. Instead yes. of, okay, yeah, you just take this pill, it's 25 milligrams, whatever. It's like you have to really reflect upon, okay, how did yes. that five milligrams feel to you versus the 10? And, like, we have to start thinking about these things again. And we before do. we weren't, we're not. And, you know, when people start doing that, they start recognizing, oh, when I eat this, mm. I feel bad. Right. <laughs> Therefore, maybe I shouldn't eat that. Or when, when I say this to somebody critical, it actually doesn't make me feel good. So, you know, it, it is, it's forcing us to take a, a lot uh, better inventory of our feelings, our physical, um, our, our feelings, how we feel physically and much more than that. Yeah. 
I love cannabis. I don't know if I mentioned this at the symposium, but the reason why I love it so much is because it is forcing us to confront so many facets of humanity. Right. We're having the hard conversations about racism. We're having the hard conversations about this, uh, you know, conventional care system and our pharmaceutical drug burden. It's forcing us to have conversation about um, the ecology of things, our environment, um, how how we cultivate, how how we're regenerating soil. It's forcing us to have literally every conversation. That's so true. (laughs) That is necessary to have to uplift society. Yes, I love it. It's It's exciting, but then it's also stressful because it's like we have so many different aspects in which we have to address things, but it all comes together. You feel like you have to be involved in them all. Yes. Yes. Well, you're amazing, Dr. Knox. We really appreciate it. Um, How can people find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram. Um, Me personally, Rachel Doc Knox. You can find the family at the the Knox Docs. Those are our handles on IG. Uh, you can visit us at our website, doctorsnox.com. Our clinics are the American Cannabinoid Clinics. That's a mouthful, but honestly, you can Google Dr. Knox in cannabis and one of the four doctors will <laughs> pop up. Yeah, it's so cool. You guys, they're a family of doctors. It's the coolest yeah. thing. It's a very cool story, really. When I first, I was like, hold on, wait. <laughs> That's awesome. And we'll it's also so fun. We'll yeah. share the uh, TED Talk as well on our channel so everybody can okay, do that. Yeah. Yes. And definitely, and then go home and share what you learned here with your friends. Because like we said, you know, it's going to take a community to go ahead and change these different, you know, aspects to, you know, the cannabis industry and really who all it's touched. And it's going to take all of us having this hard, hard conversations to move it forward and, and kind of have any type of a positive impact from it. So go home and have those conversations. Cool. All right, you guys. Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing no, your knowledge you with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Welcome to Seed and Smith the revolutionary brand that makes transparency and quality the foundation of their product line. Among these innovative products is their High Times Cannabis Cup winning Dart Pod system. These industry leaders are dedicated to including you, the consumer, into their everyday processes. Take the opportunity to engage and explore the workings of Seed & Smith with a full facility tour. To book a tour and more details, visit www.seedandsmith.com. Seed & Smith crafted for all walks of life.